Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Whenever we think of missions, often our minds go off to think about those kind of super Christians we call missionaries, those who've been called by God to far off lands and have gone through training on contextualization and apologetics and indigenous church planting and cultural hermeneutics and All these things are good and helpful, but sometimes we can begin to think about living on mission as something that's for these extraordinary people and not just ordinary, everyday Christians in our everyday lives. Uh, In this series, we've been seeing how Jesus engages with people around the table, and that's just a very ordinary thing. His mission strategy was to share meals with people. And anyone can share a simple meal. Jesus met people in their homes, often accepting their invitation to come. And he enacted grace and community and hope and mission over a meal. And of course, it wasn't the meal that saved people's lives or their souls, but it was in that context that he exercised this radical hospitality that demonstrated the unexpected nature of the kingdom of God. And this is what he invites us to do as well as we discover today the blessing of mission that God has for us around the table. So today we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 14 and I encourage you to go ahead and open that up in your Bibles. There's Bibles in the pew or if you have an app on your phone. Um, We'll read from Luke chapter 14 beginning in verse one and I'm reading from the New International Version. Starting in verse one. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Then Jesus said to his host, 
When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Through these verses, Jesus is showing us what his kingdom looks like. We've talked a lot before about what people expected of the coming Messiah. They thought he would be this political leader, a powerful military leader who would lead Israel in conquering the Roman Empire. But of course, he doesn't come in that way. He comes as a baby. He comes in weakness and obscurity, and he comes with plans to defeat a far greater enemy, that of sin and death. So we see in this passage Jesus giving us glimpses of what his kingdom is like. It's a place of healing and generosity and welcome. And he gives us a picture of who will enter that kingdom. It's the humble, the weak, and the powerless. So we're going to unpack this a little bit this morning as we look at this meal with Jesus. We'll consider, first of all, the guest list, who was invited to the meal. We'll look also at the excuses, what stopped some people from participating in this meal, in a meal with Jesus. And and finally, we'll look at um, what this all means for us as we consider meals as a place of mission. So first of all, the guest list. Who was invited to this meal? And, and we've talked a lot in this series already about how Jesus invites all kinds of unexpected people to the table, how his table is open for anyone who recognizes their need. We're not going to spend a ton of time here this morning, but we see in verse 1 that Jesus is eating at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And the others also there, the other guests are Pharisees and lawyers. These are the religious leaders, the experts in religious law. And it's a group you'd expect to see coming together since, as we've said, meals reinforced the social expectations of the day. Um, So you would be eating with those kind of in your same social circle, those who could repay that invitation. 
But Jesus, being the atypical guest he was, he has a pretty startling comment for the host. In verse 12, he basically says, you know, when you have people over for dinner, these shouldn't be the ones that you invite. These people can repay your invitation. You should be inviting the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, that would have been completely unheard of and improper in this day. So it was okay to give food to the poor, but never at the table where you're considered an equal. It was only ever given at the back door so as to maintain that uh, hierarchy and and social distinction. Um, But let's talk about this for a second. In our day, we often find it a lot easier to maybe go somewhere else to a shelter or a community building to prepare a meal or serve those who are poor. But isn't it harder sometimes to actually sit down and eat together around the table where you can have conversation and listen and learn and understand each other's worldview? It sometimes can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but this is what Jesus is calling us to. And not only does he tell this host to invite the marginalized people, but he demonstrates his inclusive heart of hospitality by healing this man with dropsy, or some versions say abnormal swelling. This, this was a disease that would cause someone to retain fluid. It would cause stiffness and discomfort. So here is the crippled that Jesus refers to later in the passage that we should be inviting to the table. Jesus welcomes him and meets him in his need. And of course, Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, which is a whole other level of shock for the Pharisees who had figured out down to a T exactly what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. But they had no grace for the needy. They had no healing for this man. They didn't even have any words for him. They just sat in silence as Jesus extended grace and healing. They hadn't recognized God's grace and healing, their need for that in their own lives. The parable of the wedding feast in verses 7 to 11 emphasizes the importance of humility and the reversal of worldly expectations for those who will share in God's feast. We see again later in the passage in verse 21 how Jesus reiterates the invitation to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame in the parable of the great banquet, which we'll look at more in just a minute. So who's invited to the table? It's those who know their need. It's those who aren't able to repay. It's the humble, the weak, and the powerless. But what stops some people from participating in a meal with Jesus? What are the excuses that people take? So we're gonna take a look at this great banquet in verses 15 to 24. Now remember, sharing a table with Jesus meant responding to God's gracious invitation. It's it's entering into his presence. It's experiencing relationship and friendship with him. And the great banquet is a metaphor for the eternal fellowship that will be shared with God in his kingdom when it is fully realized. 
Now, we're, we're in this kind of already but not yet state of life, right? The, the kingdom has already come in Christ, but it's not yet fully come to fruition. So when Jesus comes, he inaugurated God's kingdom, and he uh, is, is beginning to extend God's reign in the world, and so his, the light of his kingdom starts to shine in these dark places, and we see that as Jesus heals and forgives, and he welcomes the weak and the powerful powerless to his table. And and ultimately, when he raises from the dead, these are things that are a foretaste of what is to come in in the completion of his kingdom. So this parable shows us who will experience eternal fellowship with God at his great banquet. As we've already said, that's these marginalized people referenced in verse 21. But why do some people resist the invitation from the host? Why do some turn down God's invitation? Well, in this parable, the invitations to the meal had all gone out. Everything's now ready. It's time for everyone to gather. But those invited start giving excuses for why they can't come. And what the original hearers would have picked up on is that these excuses are ridiculous. So the first person says he needs to go Uh, He had just bought a field and he needs to go check it out. But in this day, no one would have bought a field without inspecting it first. And the same thing with the oxen. That second person said he needs to take a look at his oxen. But that would have been done, um, well, it would have been done before the purchase, but even beyond that, it would have been done during the work day, and a banquet like this would have happened after the working hours. The third person says that he just got married, so he can't come. But most likely that marriage was probably not all that recent because otherwise it would have conflicted, the wedding feast would have conflicted with this feast and the hosts wouldn't have allowed that to happen. So as we start to understand some of the nuances of this culture, we see that these excuses were absurd or even insulting to the host. Now the pious and the religious leaders of the day would have been awaiting God's great banquet. They they were anticipating the reign of God. So this isn't a surprise invitation, yet it's the ones that we would expect to be at the party who are making excuses for why they can't come and insulting the host. They're distracted by other things. They're distracted by possessions or, or things that the world says are more important. So they miss out. And God, who's, who's, who we're meant to understand as the host here, he then goes out to the streets and the alleys. This is, this is where the outcasts of Israel would have been. And he invites them to the banquet. And he goes even further to out to the country lanes. This is even beyond the people of Israel. And he extends the invitation even to the Gentiles. So his table becomes open to outsiders. In Luke chapter 13, right before this passage, we see that it's people from the north, south, east, and west who will share in the feast with God. So those who missed out on this banquet, those who will miss out on eternal fellowship with God are those who are preoccupied with other things in this world that seem more important than Christ. And it begs the question, is there something in your life that's holding you back from receiving God's invitation? Is there something distracting you from the invitation to friendship and healing and forgiveness and peace? 
Is there something that's occupying your time or energy or thoughts? Something that seems more important than God right now? You know, it's, it's easy for us to think, well, I just kinda, I need to finish this project at work so my boss knows I'm, I'm doing really well and then I'll make a little bit more time for my faith. I need to get my kid off to school this year and then I'll have some more time. I need to go through, finish this kind of stage of life where I'm, I'm tired, I don't have enough energy. That seems to be the priority right now to get through that. We can come up with a lot of reasons why uh, are things that seem more important than God. But Jesus is inviting us to his table. He's inviting us into deep, authentic relationship with him. So will we come? Let's take a little time now to consider what all this means for us as we look at our tables as a place of mission. When we accept God's invitation to fellowship, he then calls us to extend that same fellowship to others. But it's sometimes easy for us to to resist inviting people into our homes and into our hearts. So we've talked about uh, Tim Chester's book, A Meal with Jesus, the inspiration for this series. He helps us to see what some of these reasons are that we resist extending invitations to people in our homes. So sometimes maybe we fear what others will think of us, of of our home, of our cooking, of our parenting. Um, But when we live into that kind of fear, what we're doing is making other people's opinions of us more important than God's opinion of us. If we invite others because of the invitation we've received from God, then that's operating out of God's grace. And in that, we can invite people in and serve them with love and not to earn their approval. Or sometimes we resist inviting people over because of the cost. You know, food is expensive right now, especially with inflation. Uh, Hospitality costs our time but we can put a limit on God's resources. And this is an opportunity for us to be creative. You know, maybe you could have someone over just for dessert, or maybe you could do a bring your own uh, picnic on the lawn or something like that. But when we consider that the cost of God's great banquet was the blood of Jesus, it makes the cost for us seem a little less significant. I think a big reason we resist inviting people into our homes is that we're busy. You know, we have good intentions. We want to share meals with people, but the time passes and all of a sudden it's been so long since we've had someone over. Um, And if we're honest with ourselves, let's think about some of those reasons why maybe we fill our schedules. You know, maybe you're packing your schedule so much because you're trying to control your life. You know, if, if I want it done my way, I have to do it all. Or maybe you have a hard time saying no to others. You just keep saying yes and keep adding things to your schedule. You're concerned about what others might think of you if you were to say no. Maybe you are trying to to fill your life because you're looking for some kind of satisfaction. You know, if I try this, maybe I'll feel better. Or if I do that, things things will be okay. Or maybe you're trying to prove your worth through your work or even ministry. You know, maybe you feel like if I just do some more work and people know that I'm working hard, then I'll feel valuable. But the problem with all of these is that we forget who God is. We're forgetting that God is great. He's sovereign over our time, so that means we don't have to be in control. 
and we forget that God is glorious. His opinion is the one that matters the most, so we don't have to fear others. We forget that God is good. He's our source of true joy, so we don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. And we forget that God is gracious. He's the one who justifies us freely, so we don't have to work to gain his approval or the approval of anyone else. So what is God calling you to do? As you think about what might be holding, back, holding you back from regularly making your table a place of mission, what's the underlying reason for that? You know, think about what's true of God, his greatness, his glory, his goodness and grace. What could it look like for you to live in light of that? What might God be inviting you to remember or reevaluate? Since our family has moved to the neighborhood where we live in Carlisle uh, almost two years ago now, we've sought to um, develop relationships with our neighbors to get to know them. And and so we've done a few things like had some fire pits in our backyard. Um, We had a couple cookouts. We've tried to be present at things going on in the neighborhood. But we're learning that in order to establish meaningful relationships, it, it really takes regularity and ongoing um, reprioritization of our, of our time and uh, our shift in our priorities if we really want to establish meaningful relationships and help people to know that our home is one of welcome. Um, so we admittedly, we let other things sometimes crowd out our efforts and we often forget God's character and his sufficiency and grace, the, these four G's here. Uh, we can let our comforts and priorities take precedence over our hospitality. Um, and we talk about this with our son Emmett. And so a few weeks back, we had one of our neighbors who is a widow over for dinner. And I said to Emmett recently, you know, we should have her over again sometime, don't you think? And he said, yeah, we we could have her over tonight. And we were driving home from preschool, and I said, well, you know, it's, it's 5.30. I'm not sure. Maybe she's already eaten dinner. And he said, well, we could ask her. And, um, and you know, of course, in my head, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, that would be really inconvenient. I'm hoping to get the, the boys down for bed at a decent hour tonight. I'm, I'm kind of tired. Um, and unfortunately, I hate to admit that I missed that opportunity. <laughs> I didn't go and invite her over for dinner that night. You know, I'm a, I'm a planner type. I like to kind of be mentally prepared for what's going to be happening at home that night. Um, but Emmett wasn't letting those excuses get in his way. <laughs> and I think I could learn from him. You know, I don't know if we extended that invitation, if it would have been a no, maybe she would have already eaten, maybe she couldn't join us, and, but it would have opened the opportunity for, uh, for the future. Or maybe it would have been a yes, and we could have invited her into um, our everyday rhythms as a family. But it just reminds me that our neighbors don't need anything extravagant. You know, they need the hope of Jesus. They need a place where they can be themselves, a place where they can be welcomed as they are, a place where they can experience the grace of God. Rosaria Butterfield has a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and she talks about radically ordinary hospitality. This this is what she says. Radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. 
They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They know they are like meth addicts and sex trade workers. They take their own sin seriously, including the sin of selfishness and pride. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exceptions. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. Radically ordinary hospitality shows this skeptical post-Christian world what authentic Christianity looks like. It knows that people need to be rescued from their sin, not to be given pep talks about good choice making. It remembers that Jesus rescues people from their sin. Jesus rescued us. Jesus lives and reigns. So radically ordinary hospitality is a matter of reorienting our time and our space to be open to others. You know, we all eat. We all eat a few meals a day. And so what could it look like for you to share your table a little bit more often? You know, maybe it's an opportunity for you to meet up with a Christian friend over breakfast and read the Bible together. Or maybe at your workplace, um, you have a lunch break and you could invite some others to eat lunch with you. Maybe people at your work tend to kind of eat on their own and you could be that one who kind of creates the culture of hospitality right there at work. Um, Maybe you can invite some friends from church over along with some neighbors and experience community and mission all at the same time. Maybe there's a lonely person you know who would enjoy sharing a meal with you and watching a favorite show or playing a game. You know, this all goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago, grace. When we truly experience God's grace in our lives, it compels us to share it with others. And remember how this passage shows us that the invitation to God's banquet is for the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, that's repeated twice in this passage. Well, we are only able to enact mission to the weak and powerless when we realize that we are the weak and powerless. We're given a place of honor only by God's grace. In Tim Chester's book, he reminds us, we are spiritually poor with nothing to offer for our salvation. We are spiritually crippled, made powerless by sin. We are spiritually blind, unable to see the truth about Jesus. We are spiritually lame, unable to come to God on our own. We are the spiritually marginalized, but God, by his grace, invites us to his resurrection feast. And that's what motivates us and gives us the power every day to share our tables with others. Chester says the cross is our motive and our model. So who do you know who's spiritually poor, crippled, lame, and blind? Who might God be putting on your heart to invite over for a meal? Back in the 1800s, there was a leper colony established on the Hawaiian island of Molokai, and a priest named Father Damien went there to serve that community of lepers. He spent 16 years there building houses, 
sharing fellowship with them, teaching, introducing music, and bandaging wounds, and preaching the good news of Christ. These were outcasts who had otherwise been abandoned. He shared meals with them. He shared embraces with them. It was even said that he shared his pipe with them. He saw himself as a representative of Christ, and he got close to those who were sick. One day, he stood up, and he began his sermon before the people. He said, we lepers. He himself had contracted leprosy. See, these lepers were poor and sick and isolated, but Father Damien knew that he was spiritually poor. He was sick with sin, and he was separated from God. But it was God's grace that reached his life, and he had received an invitation to God's great banquet. So Father Damien lived in such a way that extended that invitation to others who saw their need. And the community loved him and received his message of grace. In this same way, Jesus became one of us. He took on our skin and lived as we lived. And he took on our sin and died as we died. And we are changed when we recognize his incredible act of grace. In his resurrection, he goes before us in preparing a great feast for us, a feast of forgiveness, healing, and love. So the question is, will we do the same by his grace, by his power? Will we pour out grace as we've received it? Will we invite others to our table so that we can then share God's invitation to join him at his. Let's pray. God, when we recognize our need for you and we know your grace in our lives, we are humbled. God, without you, we are powerless and weak. We are sick with sin, we are spiritually poor, we thank you that you came to us and you embraced us and extended the invitation to us to be in relationship with you. We ask that that would stir our hearts this morning, that you would motivate us by your grace to reach out to those around us. Lord, everywhere we look, in our neighborhoods, in, our, in the shops where we go, at work, uh, Lord, at the cafes where we spend time, wherever we are, at the gym, God, there's people who are in need of you. Lord, help us to extend your grace to them, to open our hearts and our homes, to share a meal, to share your love. Lord, lead us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.